It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, one of the coolest things in our collection of gear that we've sort of been uh, amassing for quite some time um, is the Roland Boutique series. And I think the Roland Boutique series is pretty underrated as far as a lot of people go. Um, Audio pills and bad gear do great features on why the boutiques are seen as like um, sort of like a step down, but also all the things that you can do with them that are so handy in their portable style in like uh, a desktop jam, uh, which is really good. If you're ever on the fence with looking at them, check out Bad Gear's channel on any of the Roland boutiques. But um, yeah, I just wanted to shout out how cool of a range it is. And um, also just how compact form factors for stuff is that they're, they're, they're sort of becoming like a, a really cool Christmas present that you can sort of have like a... a a supersized 80s keyboard miniaturized as a desktop synth um, in sort of modern music production. Yeah, and the main pros and cons with this is that obviously they're more affordable, they're um, better value, I would say, than buying a vintage one because, you know, you can actually find them. But, um, you know, that in a project or home studio, you know, you don't have to allocate a massive, like, amount of space for these things. And then the um, the cons tend to be that the USB powered, which can impart some noise. And as you say, uh, bad gear audio pills on YouTube, they they um, do some really funny, like exaggerated versions of what this USB noise sounds like. And it's something really. I think you encounter it, but it's it's like you have to be rocking the gains really high. Like it's it's the sort of thing where you're only really going to hear this USB noise if you track it to, say, like, too low gain in your session. And then you go, oh, um, I'll normalise or I'll, you know, gain it up in the box. That's the that's when you're going to hear this USB noise. In which case, I would always advocate if you have the tools to use something like a, a denoise or something like RX or some spectral repair, we'll clean it right up. But I know that the premise is, why would you have a system that, you know, like, could impart USB noise? But again, it's the form factor. I mean, you think about this range and how how small they are, but how powerful they are. And I know um, you can compare them to Roland Cloud. A lot of the range is available in software incarnations in Roland Cloud. But again, you get zero latency, zero, you know, like um, CPU usage, and uh, the tactility of them. I know some of them do work as hardware controllers for the um, Roland uh, cloud stuff, but um, I still think there's a charm to having them in the uh, actual hardware domain and actually being able to get a, a like powerful incarnation of them. I mean, the GUO6A, for example, you see it everywhere everybody's got one like from synthwave producers churches have a few boutiques in their setup when they do studio behind the scenes yeah and and it pops up in like i, I believe like um mike shinoda from lincoln park he has the original ju06 and um a lot of people have the ju06a in particular i think just because juno is such a um 
it's such a universal sound and i think if if nothing else it's grown more and more popular because people like um say jack antonov uh will bring him onto a lot of the um taylor swift songs particularly on uh midnights there's a a lot of uh juno sort of sounds and he's using an original juno so it's just a nice familiar sound that a lot of people like and you can work with it quite a lot and so the boutique version is just a nice sort of you got it it's not the same as having like a tal Uno plugin that's like a you know a different brand sort of reinterpreting it i mean let's be honest every single plugin company's got a juno at this point yeah um akai has recently released the jure or something like that yeah and, soft um, tube's got one they're just the it's like you say the the juno the the roland juno 106 and and stuff seems to be cloned by almost everybody and um there's there's like true sort of clone remakes like uh you see in software you get stuff that's like juno adjacent like say nymphies by uh dreadbox and you even get like guitar pedals say like tc electronics just has a juno chorus pedal just you know i think it's actually called june you know if you look at it is it what, yeah, the yeah, actual yeah, pedal? yeah i think it is called june um oh. i think it's the june I don't know if it's 106 or 06 or whatever, but it's, it is called June. It's not called Juno. But it's I in think, the same form factor, like style with the yellow button and, and all that. Well, it's that's laid the out thing. the same. It's got the same sort of trade dress, essentially, in that in that sense. I think that's the right term of trade dress. But um, like you say, it's so recognisable. And a lot, of, a lot of brands do go very close to it. Like I, I always think the Tal Juno one is the best name because it's like... It's a pun at the same time, isn't it? You know, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that. I never <laughs> thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like um, there's so many of them. And and I'm not saying that um, the you need a JU06A to get that sound. Like, I'm pretty sure the Tal you know will get you close enough. And um, the Softube one certainly will will do some good stuff just because of the the brand power stuff like soft tube you know the accuracy but i like i say a lot of people will will cite the towel one and i think the towel ones it's it's either i don't think it's free but it's very cheap i believe <laughs> might be free but um that one people love it but uh what do you think what what do you think makes them so fun i think there is a a bit like we've talked about with the emu stuff there's that form factor collectability to them that makes them nice i think the best thing roland did with the boutique range is the box being like a, a museum history piece on the back yeah. sort of telling you all about the history and what it is emulating um so for anybody who hasn't seen it each box has the a picture and a description of the original unit say like the do5 um boutique it has well it's cloning sort of the d50 or it's inspired by the d50 synthesizer linear wave synthesizer from um the 80s um so they all have like a little piece of history so if you've never got chance to see a lot of them you can read about them and see you know like the full versions and obviously that's the sort of sound set you're getting um which are pretty one-to-one -one, a bit like the roland cloud versions my only worry with the boutique range in general is uh, have they been successed by the um 
the rolling cloud itself like are we going to get another boutique there's currently 13 in the range and the newest two the jx08 and the jd08 come out in 2021 i think um or the start of 2022 so are we going to get another one that's that's the question um is the 14 I think there's 14. Is there 14? I thought there was 13. Hang on. One, two, three. Four. Well, I won't count them out. Though, but um, I just counted them in fours. There's 14 there. Oh. Sorry. Well, yeah, no, there's 14 there. Well, there you go. Going crazy. Going crazy looking at these because um, they're not all exactly the same size. They're pretty much the same size, but width-wise, they're slightly different. Yeah, there's 14 of them. So that's that's quite um, it's quite fun. But we were speculating on if they do another one. I, I personally have my money on air an Alpha Juno, because I think be, where they're left off, like with the JD-08, you know, when when you think about Alpha Junos, I believe they're used for redominator sounds and um, a lot of the crazier sort of trance and dance sort of pitch-based and uh, modulation-based, because it's got a very complicated... Um, either envelope or modulation sort of system on the Alpha Juno. I've not personally used one, but I've read a little bit about them. And so I think that that would be like a natural jumping off point from the JD-08 because, you know, I I don't think we'd see them approach more vintage units. I think they've got a... I feel like the natural move would be to move further into like the the 90s, really. And also cover some of the products that maybe didn't get as much love the first time round. I mean, everybody... I mean, I, I don't want to say people are sick of the Tiara 9, Tiara 8, TB303 in the Juno, but um, we've got so many renditions of those units and yeah. so many sort of plug-in versions, sample packs, you name it. There's so much of those sounds. What was really refreshing about, say, the JD08 and the D05 is those, those are sound sets that not are rare to find but i just think you don't see that type of synthesis very much because there's a big analog synth boom with a lot of companies and they yeah. want they don't they're not really interested in like digital wavetabling and stuff um but that sort of come back around a little bit as we've sort of had we're sort of like culturally everybody's sort of talking about the 90s and millennium sort of music so obviously the instruments of that time, which are very sample based, a rompler sort of like digital synths, they're sort of having a resurgence um, with a lot of the electronic music that's coming out. Whereas before, I think there was a big like, right, we've just got brand new digital stuff. Everybody wants analog, whereas it's sort of maybe a little bit more 50-50 now. One thing that I have noticed when you're saying about how the DO5 is like, or the D50, should we say, go back to the source, is less common. It comes up on so many of the romplers that we have, the actual classic romplers. Like, the amount of times you're scrolling through, like, an Emu unit, or a Korg unit, or an Insonic unit, whatever it is, and they have some version of, like, uh, Fantasia. Yeah, Fantasia some... has, like, a, a clone on almost every competitor's hardware synth that has a pun on the name Fantasia. Or, or some reference to an LA sort of brass or LA choir or something being the LA synthesis method that is the... Um, that the D50 is uh, sort of built with. And um, 
it's it's really weird because you know we talk about sampling and stuff yeah yeah but when you actually go through the library of of something particularly like when you think of emu classic keys you look and they're all oberheims and d50s and jupiters profits sounds yeah they've just gone and they've sampled an actual hardware collection and then put it in their slightly cheaper hardware collection to be like you know so there's a real ethical thing with sampling where you know and, and, and I'm, when i say sampling i don't mean sampling like a song i mean like sampling a sound source is sound um sort of sound source situation because like there's never been regulation on what you can sample because technically by de facto all these instruments are royalty free because otherwise nobody could use them but that means that they can then be sampled by a competitor or to some extent cloned by a competitor to make music but they can't copyright it either it's like one of those bizarre things i mean maybe this is where music should be Uh, i suppose on that note with um the hardware in particular um, I suppose what you often find is like a sample pack, both in the form of, say, like a, an emu rompler unit, which is they've sampled a waveform, uh, and now your modern sample packs, which you just get a like wav of a note that you then is key matched. I suppose the thing is, is you get the sound, but you don't necessarily get the engine and the tweakability yeah in those units that you would get so you can get an Oberheim poly that sounds like jump on like emu classic keys but can you filter it and modulate it and do those things that you would have the flexibility with an actual Oberheim unit well, to do not necessarily you can do similar things but you don't get the actual hardware and the 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 parameters to, to play with and automate and in all honesty as well, the the actual effect of sampling an instrument creates a lot of aliasing. I mean, you can you can try this in any door. You can take a note, even if you're using something like Serum or a popular VST effect, sample or, or play a middle C for about, you know, like 10, 10 seconds or so. Let the full note sort of decay and everything. And then... Drop that into your DAW's sampler, whether it's a sampler track or simpler on Ableton or something like Europa, sorry, not Europa, something like um, Mimic on or the NNXT on Reason. You know, each DAW has an equivalent. And uh, when you pitch it up or when you play it around the keyboard, you will hear a noticeable difference. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't retain the same sort of um, performance characteristics. I suppose that's what you're saying, isn't it? Like, yes, yeah. And, and it's like if you sampled a distorted guitar, it's not as simple as just moving it up and down the keyboard to get the same sound because obviously the the, the timbre changes as you do that in comparison to how it would uh, on an electric guitar. It, it sort of creates, a, for those who aren't sure about how formants work and what exactly a formant is, a formant is the characteristic that defines your voice. So when you go up in pitch and down in pitch, your formant sort of, it sort of stays locked to how your voice handles it. Whereas if you say, drop your voice, if you sing a note and drop it into a sampler, or like with the vocal chops, the way that they've become popular, it sort of gets that chipmunkified sound. That's to do with the formant being moved 
in a manner that your voice wouldn't naturally do it. And that's why it sounds strange to the human ear because the formant is higher than it should be because you've pitched the full note up. Whereas your your formant wouldn't really change. The note you sing would change, but your the, the formant wouldn't, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and that's sort of the difference between having the original. Like, you know, you could probably shoot out a D50 to the DO5 and there'd probably be differences. I mean, we talk about noisy USB ports, which really isn't much of an issue, but it's something that, say, a lot of people mention as like a downside with the boutiques. But if you buy a vintage Juno from eBay, you've no guarantee that it's not going to have a hiss on the jack out. And that's very these true. little things, analog equipment does impart noise naturally, you know. So... It, it's sort of like a swings and roundabout situation with both analog and digital. Um, it depends how reliable, I suppose, at the end of the day you want it. Analog may have a sweeter sound, some people would describe, but it also is less reliable. So, you know, it, it's hard. And obviously, just to know, using this example, I know the D50 is a digital synthesizer. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, but, this... but I'm talking about, say, the actual electronical components of that synth versus the electronical components of the DO5 still won't be a one-to-one match. The thing with something like a DO5 is that it will be the most similar because it's really, they're just taking that digital brain and putting it into a smaller box. That's the full idea. Yeah, yeah. Whereas something like the the Juno, the main difference is that it's virtual analog, which is some sort of take on having a digital recreation on the raw waveform. And then after that, um, I, I want to say it's an analog filter, but I don't know. All the, a lot of the boutiques. Unless you cracked out the manual and yeah. got the, the promotional video. Up, uh, yeah. yeah, unless I read the specs. I can't remember if it's a digital or analog filter. But as long as the filter is sort of copying the main characteristics, you're going to end up with a similar sound. And the, the, the way they do the virtual analog, I'm not sure if it's purely um, algorithmic or if it is sample-based. Because, you know, a waveform, when you get to the raw waveform, that just pitches up, providing it's looped perfectly, you know. And it's it's hard to really tell with your ears um, that it has been, you know, pitched up and down because the sample size is so short and there's no sort of, um, there's no modulation to, to actually give you context that that sound has been manipulated. So it, it sounds, you know, like a bit more realistic. Whereas, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, there's so many different methods of synthesis with FM and LA and, um, subtractive, additive, granular, and then sample based sort of synthesis and wavetable. I mean, there is a, there is quite a lot and a lot of people only really get into subtractive, but I do think that the wavetable thing because of like serum and, and some of these more popular synths like that, um, that is definitely one of the entry points. But really a wavetable still works in the subtractive synth workflow after the initial wavetable. So definitely additive and LA and FM is the things that confuse people the most, I would have thought. Yeah, and it's also something you don't think about unless you're really clued into it. A lot of people just look at a box and go, oh, that makes a synthesizer sound. They don't really think about what's under the hood or how that works or the history behind it unless you start like really getting into like you know, like what synths, how synthesizers evolved from massive 
you know, like rooms almost into, you know, like with the System 100 and the original sort of units. Yeah, the original uh, modular sort of yeah, series it, where it, like room, room... It's a bit like when you look at like a, a 50s computer that took up like an entire floor of a, a building, like an apartment in America, and then it, how that can be like on your phone now. It's a similar thing with synthesis, you know. Obviously, you can get things like the, um, the Korg NTS-2, which is just so tiny but can do so much is this the uh you talk about the oscilloscope yeah yes the oscilloscope yeah yeah um you know whereas when you think about what what that tech would look like to put in like vintage tech it would be massive massive because things have got so small for what they can do and that's the best thing about something like the boutique well, you think about that say like say the oscilloscope um the older version of it would be like a 4U rack sort of size, wouldn't it? Because yeah, yeah. it takes that much like, And to, it'd be deep it. as well, because oscilloscopes are really deep when you look at them, if you've ever seen one in person. They, they often have them in school science labs, so that you, you may have seen one there, but you may be going back a bit. And then um, it is... It is an interesting thing, though. Will Roland release more boutiques? I think it'd be nice if they put a couple more out. But again, if you're collecting them, it's like we talk about the boss boss pedal collectors. Yeah, yeah. And that must be like a, ooh, the thrill of the chase. But man, they put out a lot of products and they are not cheap. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to, to buy every single sort of, uh, product in a product line it it can be very tricky and obviously if there's only three it can be easy to buy three but like if you're trying to collect them and they're announcing them faster than you get paid it, it can be like a, a steep slope to like not addiction but just like how do you afford to buy it all and like say with the boss compact stomps uh there's a few people who do collect them and try to get every one a couple of good ones on instagram if you're interested in that sort of collection aspect but uh they announce so many every year and like now you've got the wascraft series and reissues and they're just really doing a good job at boss to just keep making products but um like with the boutiques there's just enough of them to get them all but obviously a lot of them are discontinued now which definitely makes it very difficult i mean we got them sort of one one for a while and then we just sort of started chipping away at a few every here and there and then we ended up only having the TR09 and the D05 left to buy and they had been discontinued for a long time and then that ends up being like bidding war situations where you can't just buy one and that's where frustration hits in because obviously the D05 is built so you don't have to go bid on one on eBay and yeah. there you are bidding on the boutique version because it's discontinued and you can't just buy one from a shop because obviously we, it, it was discontinued before we really got into it, uh, really. Well, you know, it's one of those things. We we sort of got the um, the JPOA, then the VPO3, and then it was a little while before we actually got another one. And then, as you say, it was just slowly chipping them off and then you start to get close and then you think, oh, I could have them all. And then you don't want to be that guy who like, massively overpays for the the very last one because you've got the rest yeah and i think also like with gear in general um don't overpay uh, it's so easy to say that but uh like when you look at clons clon guitar pedals and people are charging four thousand to seven thousand dollars for them and stuff it's just like it's the same stuff 
don't don't overpay. And I suppose you could say this with like original Junos and stuff, which are their their prices fluctuate massively depending on where you're buying them from, the condition. But I mean, only get one if that's something you want. And if you just want the sounds, just find an alternative, like say a minimized version or Roland Cloud if you really don't want the space. But um, you know, it is fun to have a collection of stuff. And like I say, the best thing with the boutiques is the way if you have them all, they sit on a shelf like books. That's the best thing about them because instead of having like a, a massive keyboard rack where it's going halfway up the wall and everything's on top of each other and you can't even reach the top ones by the time you get there, um, they just go next to each other very easily on any traditional bookshelf. And that that is such a underrated feature because if you're in a project studio you can store them easily you don't have to worry about them you don't have to worry about getting 14 dust covers for 14 desktop synths because they all go up right next to each other in square boxes and that's one of the biggest things i wish other synth manufacturers did was just the um the idea of not having to have everything on your desk at once i think the korg volkers are the main that they're all often like compared to the boutiques yeah as a slightly more budget friendly boutique but they do operate with the uh, same form factor like you could just put them all up on a shelf and uh yeah you'd be set which is nice because you don't want everything to be racked or everything to be a desktop because you only have so much rack and desktop space you know you need yeah. smart storage solutions in your studios i suppose the boutiques are sort of as space efficient or very, maybe slightly less space-efficient than, say, having 16 1U rack synthesizers. But obviously, the thing is with, with synth, uh, rack synthesizers is you can get 4U and 5U rack synthesizers. Um, so, you know, I my preference is I've tried to buy 1U ones uh, for space sort of efficiency. Um, but, you know, you could have three racks in a 16U rack case that, you know big big ones and then the boutiques look a lot more size friendly and studio friendly uh particularly like if you've got bedroom or project studios but uh, i just really think they're cool i'd love to see an sh2011 um but i don't know if that's going to happen because that is a niche mid 2000s synth and um yeah i i would they haven't even got an sh201 on rolling cloud have they no, I not don't think as, so. Not as far as I've seen. So it, I also think another shout out. I think JP eight thousand or eighty eighty. I can't remember how oh, that yeah, line yeah, works. Yeah. I could see because that that's the one that has like the super saw, the original super saw. Yeah, that would be and pretty cool. That hasn't been sort of tackled in in the boutique line either. I don't feel like the main drum machine that hasn't been tackled is the TR07. Or 727, should we say? Yeah, well, I think what they would do is they would do the 707 and 727 in one box. But, um, you know, like how they've done the JU06A, but it has a there's a 106 and a 60 in the same box for that one. I think they'd do something like that. But um, it's does it have the demand, I suppose? I mean, I could see it having the demand. It's, it is sought after. I mean, the expansion for the TR8, is pretty nice but also though i suppose the um the the new range of era drum machines have like all of these built in as well don't they so they might find if look if you want like the niche or the less popular 
um, sort of sounds, then just get like a TR8S and the and only do it with thing that. that I've seen with like, like say the Gaia two and the brand new uh, drum machines and stuff that you see, uh, like like you say that the the TR6S and stuff is that the only downside you have with Roland Cloud. Uh, compatibility with hardware synths is yeah. all the synths and hardware starts to just have the same sounds and there's nothing unique about a lot of them. That's yeah, they the do only... like to uh, drop an SH or a Juno into whatever they've got. That, that's the only drawback. So like with the Gaia 2, if you've got, yes, a very powerful synth, but then you can just put all your rolling cloud stuff in there if you pay an additional subscription and all that uh, to, to put them together. I do think there's, there's something cool about that if that's your only synth, but I do think in a situation where you have bought that and you want another piece of gear, that Roland Cloud integration starts to be less and less worth it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, there's something about having a new product that does something very different, very well. That's very cool. It would be great to see like a, a brand new drum machine in the boutique form factor. But I, I do think that Roland will, will try and do like a, a bigger sort of synth. I think they, they don't want to be sort of called gimmicky from what I can see. So they're trying to do like with the guy to bigger full metal enclosure sort of things and all that you know yeah the comparison is um sort of like the Korg the new wave of Korg products like the Op6 and the Modwave and things like that the Korg seem to have really tapped into something but again they've done the drummer log which is like a a brand new sort of take on a drum machine and you know I, I was gonna say like how do you do a new drum machine in like 2023 2024 because I mean, if it's not sample based, there's a sample for every possible, like conceivable drum sort of turn. And then there's, you know, drum mashers, things like polyplex, where you layer mm. loads of stuff together. Like, how do you make a piece of hardware that is competitive and that is innovative and fun? you know, in this environment. Unless somebody creates a new chipset that nobody's ever had chance to use, it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just been our thoughts on, on what, why we like the Roland Boutique uh, range and also just a little bit of like um, affordable synthesis and stuff or affordable little units for, for studios that you could consider around Christmas uh, if you're looking to upgrade your studio or buy something for somebody who lo loves music and, and by that I mean loves making music. Um, but yeah, uh, anything else to add there, Peter? Uh, let us know what's on your Christmas list, and do you think that it's do you think it's affordable to buy something like a desktop synthesizer unit for somebody for Christmas, or do you think it's one of those where it's it's all situational? And some people, you know, it's like people ask for guitars and drum kits all the time, and they they get up there in price. They do that, they do, yeah. So I don't see why you couldn't get a little boutique or a little dreadbox thing for your desk. Right, thanks for listening. See you next week. See you next week. Yeah.